right, Outfielders Anonymous fans, welcome to Episode 6. Uh, we have the pleasure of sitting here in the, the locker room of the Greenville Drive, the single-A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox here in Greenville, South Carolina. And once again joining us on the podcast is Eric Jarenko, General Manager of said Greenville Drive, single-A affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. And, of course, I'm Hawk, and my man Chase is sitting next to me. And, Eric, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. So... Um, it's the off season now, but uh, pitchers and catchers are about to report. It is February 10th. Uh, Chase and I just recently came to the hot stove event that you hosted here uh, that we had. So tell us about the, the attendees for the hot stove that we were able to, to talk with. Yeah, always an exciting event for us to, to host. It really uh, kind of kicks off the baseball season. So um, this year had uh, obviously myself and our owner, Craig Brown, um, but we're also joined by Red Sox Vice President of Player Development, Ben Crockett, uh, Drive Manager Iggy Suarez, who returns for his third consecutive year, and then Drive Pitching Coach uh, Bob Kipper, who is now in his third different stint with the drive this will be the third straight year during this stint with us but uh uh always great to have those guys here really tells us that baseball season's right around the corner uh Raquel Ferreira who's the uh, uh exec- executive vice president and assistant general manager of the Red Sox she was supposed to join us but obviously a lot going on in Boston these days um so her schedule shifted a little bit and she was unable to unable to come we were really really looking forward to having her um she's actually the highest ranking female in all of uh, major league baseball and hasn't really been to hasn't been to greenville yet um even though she's been with the red sox since about 1998 so ben crawford came down raquel was uh, supposed to come down in generally speaking how how much of the Red Sox front office do you all deal with? And I know your capacity is a little bit different than, say, Iggy Suarez. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, how, how much interaction do you have, particularly with their front office? Um, a good bit on the player development side. I mean, throughout the season, um, you get a lot of the roving coordinators to come down because in addition to our coaching staff um, – there's roving coordinators that check in on all the affiliates, um, so they'll be here a good bit. Ben does come down uh, three or four times throughout the season. Um, the assistant director of player development, Brian Abraham, who reports directly to Ben, he comes down several times throughout the year. Uh, some other ops people as well. So there, there's a good bit um, that come down. Uh, there's usually one or two people here for every homestand, whether it's a coordinator or somebody from the front office, especially at our level uh, with the guys being as young as they are. A lot of them, it is their first full season. And then also depends on, you know, what prospects we may have. With having Tristan Casas last year, a lot of those guys were here uh, maybe more than they usually would be. Yeah, and since then, Casas has actually moved uh, up to double-A ball, correct? Yeah, I think, I mean, he'll, he finished the year in Salem uh, with high A. Uh, I mean, depending on what kind of spring training he has, he'll either report back to Salem to start the year at advanced A or go directly to Portland. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still only 20 years old, so a young young kid. Um, just really, even though he had a really good year last year, he'll have to have a, I think he'll probably have to have a really strong spring training for them to move him that quickly to double A. Yeah. He's still on the fast track, though, considering, oh, yeah. you know, just his age and everything. And we, we had the pleasure of watching him a lot last season, and I think it was evident from the beginning where he was headed. So That kid, I mean, I'll tell you what, we obviously I've been with the drive now going on year 15, and the 
baseball mindset that he had and the work ethic he had I've actually never seen a kid come through here that did that I mean the game would end and he had a whole post-game routine of ice bath stretching I mean he was the last one last one to leave the locker room every single night because of just the post-game routine that he set out for himself that I mean that says a lot though yeah. it's those guys it's those guys that make it you know as far as they do you said something there that I want to touch on. So it's now the 15th this, – this season is the 15th anniversary of the Greenville Drive. And, yes, you're – you know, your year 15 as well. Touch on what, you know, you know, maybe plans that you guys have for year 15, the anniversary year, you know, what it means going into this, not just from – well, from two perspectives. One, you know, being here in Greenville, what you guys plan to do as your own organization, but then – Again, you know, where you guys see your relationship with the Red Sox building from here. Um, and, you know, I guess ending it with you and I were both at spring or at uh, the winter meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, that the big talk at that time was what's going to happen with minor league baseball, yeah. what's going to happen with them, the proposal of getting rid of X amount of teams. Obviously, I don't think you had anything to worry about, mm-hmm. as you said, but maybe. Since you were there at this level, the minor league level, you can give what insight you can as to maybe what the future holds for that. Yeah, from a 15th anniversary perspective, I mean, we're really excited. I mean, anytime, you know, you can have an anniversary season and really take a step back and look at all the success that we've had through the first 14 years is really exciting. Um, Not a whole lot is going to change as we head into year 15. I mean, we've got some cool celebratory stuff along the way but in terms of you know what you see from our commitment to the fan experience and obviously our prices continue to stay where they're at and a lot of the community nights that we do a lot of that I mean all that's going to stay the same I mean nothing's going to change there I think some of the bigger things for us is you know we've started to test the water a little bit with some of the theme nights in terms of like last year we did a marvel night and that was our first time doing that it was pretty it was really successful so to do that again this year um we're partnering with nickelodeon on a night and doing a paw patrol night that i you know a lot of young kids my are, personal favorite yeah <laughs> i'm re- i'm really you, looking wait a for minute. you said at the hot stove that you were getting somebody to dress up like one did you not well no so we've <laughs> got we've got three of the characters that'll be here at the ballpark that game which will be interesting i mean it was funny we we signed on to do that um night uh, i think back in november um we we signed on with nickelodeon to be a participating team with that and they said yeah you know here's the list of characters you can bring out and just let us know which ones you want and honestly i couldn't tell you what paw patrol i mean i know it's really popular and and the list they gave me was alpha i didn't realize it at the time it was alphabetical the characters so i just assumed they actually had it in order of popularity so i was like oh yeah we'll take the first two and then we were out to dinner one night with our nephew, and he's like four or five years old and just absolutely loves Paw Patrol. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're having a Paw Patrol night. And he's like, oh, who are you having? And I rattled off the two names, and he's like, wait, you don't have Chase or Marshall coming? They're the main characters. Like, yeah. you messed up. And I was like, oh, I, I called Nickelodeon the next day. I was like, hey, i got to change what, uh, <laughs> what characters we've got Did they let out. you change it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we've got that going on this year, which is kind of a change of pace for us. Um, we are doing some bobblehead giveaways, which will be the first time since 2007 that we've actually given away any bobbleheads. Um, it's kind of funny to talk about it now, but we're doing one of Mookie Betts. Um, 
granted, at the end of the day, yes, he may be with the Dodgers this year, but at the end of the day, he, he's homegrown. Yeah, I mean, he he played here in 2013. It's a it's a drive bobblehead. It's not a Red Sox bobblehead. It's not a Dodgers bobblehead. Um, it's a drive bobblehead of Mookie. Um, hint, hint, that's going to be worth money yeah. one day, guys. So you definitely want to come to that game. And then also, you know, we figured while we're celebrating our, or, you know, honoring our most celebrated alumni, let's uh, celebrate our most celebrated uh, employee. And when I told our staff that we were going to honor our most celebrated employee, I said, that's not, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be really weird. Um, But no, we're doing, uh, Greg Burgess, our head groundskeeper, has been with us 14 of 15 years. He was actually an intern with us in 06. Uh, our first year, and then came back in 08 as our head groundskeeper after interning in Charlotte in 07. He's been with us as our head groundskeeper ever since. He's won uh, South Atlantic League um, groundskeeper of the year six times. Um, seven times we've won um, field of the year under him, and he's won Class A groundskeeper of the year three times. Um, over the years, he's had three different boxers, dogs um so we're doing a really cool bobblehead with him this year and his three dogs on the bobblehead and as well what, what are the dogs names we, we you all had mentioned it at yeah time. so um his first one was maggie she actually passed away last season um she was 12 which is really old for yeah. a boxer mm-hmm. um murphy was the second one he actually passed away in 2016 i believe he was really young though he was three um actually happened here at the field and then he he and his wife just got a new uh puppy back in november and her name's bermuda after bermuda grass but she goes by muta so it's maggie murphy and muta now the and i'm sure you know this too the head the head groundskeeper in boston is he has a service dog yeah he's got two drago is the head one and then yeah. there's a second one that they're grooming right a now hockey fan I, I've always wanted to know that. <laughs> yeah. they, they did a really cool special on him on for uh, like National Dog Day on ESPN. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Talked about because he he's been hit by a car. What like two or three? He times? He has a PTSD from, from yeah, hit. and it was one of them was when he was actually working with the White Sox. I mean, he's got he's an unbelievable groundskeeper. No, uh, Brewers, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah, but he somebody was drove a car, like somehow got onto the field with a car. Yeah, through the and he tried to wall. stop it, and they hit him. And that was his second or was that his first i think that was his first and yeah then it happened again later but yeah it's a really interesting story but he is an unbelievable groundskeeper and then yeah he's got those dogs with him um all the time they were actually on the parade bus with yeah, him they showed during that, the world like series the parade yeah and everything okay, they were on cool. the they he just wrote a book too that talks about how the dogs have helped him so much and it was it was a really good story when they when i saw that because i've always been fascinated by how some of these you know big league ball clubs can put you know what they do on the field you know the designs all that stuff and so that came on and i was watching it and obviously it has to do with dogs so who's Mm -hmm. not going to watch that and then it told his story and you know he got with the red sox you know organization was like look can i have this dog with me and they were 100 supportive and now it's a part of the team, a part of the org. It was. A, it's a really good story if you haven't seen it. What What's his name? You know his name. David right? Meller. David. Okay, check that out if you haven't. So you you talked about the anniversary of everything. Um, well, real quick, um, you had talked about like the Marvel Knights, and I'm yeah. curious. You know, in the last interview, we had talked about kind of if if there is you know interaction. We have two minor league sports teams. Well, I guess three now with the soccer team mm-hmm. that's come in to triumph. Um, now the Swamp Rabbits do. They've been doing 
comic book nights, yeah. uh, Marvel and DC, mm-hmm. they have two different nights. Is is that like an agency? Do you go straight through Marvel? Was, is, did Swamp Rabbits get you connected? No, I mean, there's an agency that represents all of those because there's a license. I mean, you can't just go out and call it a Marvel night without paying Marvel for the rights to use. Yeah. I mean, you could get around it and call it superhero night and then have knockoff characters and stuff like that. But if you really want to do it right, you have to go through Marvel, DC, Nickelodeon with Paw Patrol. There's some other teams are doing some SpongeBob SquarePants nights, all that stuff. And all that's got to go through Nickelodeon. So there's some agencies that represent them. And then you basically pay a licensing fee to be able to use the marks and all of your advertising. And then they expect you to do some certain things like you have to do jerseys if you're going to do one of the nights. Um, and that's an additional fee and stuff like that. But yeah, there's there, everything's represented out. And the interesting thing is you've got a lot of teams calling nights like the office after the TV show, but no agency is actually representing the office, but the, the office is so general that obviously you're doing it around the TV show, yeah. but yeah. I think at the office in general, we too, it yeah. was the office night. And then you were playing snippets. Yeah. Of- which technically we shouldn't be doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, now, I mean, so now that you're the, I mean, what's happened in this organization since 2006 is incredible at this level, it, at least in my opinion. And like I said, we've, We've said it a thousand times over to people. If you if you haven't been here, baseball fan, no baseball fan, it's worth coming to the ballpark, seeing what it is, and you know, bringing the family. Great atmosphere. What do you? I guess the scare with minor league baseball mm-hmm. that we had beginning of the off season, and then when you and I we're at the winter meetings. What came of that, even though it may not directly affect you, what was the scare and what would you think is, how could that affect the game negatively, you know, going down the road if it actually did happen? Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in this state of ambiguity right now of what's really going on because, you know, obviously, you know, there's 160 teams in minor league baseball. Um the PBA, the professional baseball agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, um, is up for renewal. It expires with the final out of the 2020 season. Um, you know, it, it comes up for renewal every 10 to 15 years, just depending on, you know, how long they extend it. It hasn't really gone through major changes in the last two renewal periods, but um, obviously with a new commissioner this time around who wasn't involved the last time it was up for renewal, you know, there's a, you know, a sense of wanting to put your stamp on the game and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, really what everything has come down to in the talks is has to do with player well-being. Um, You know, some of it makes sense. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of talk about player salaries and things like that. And, I think you we know, can all get behind Yeah, that, I mean, let's be honest. When you look at the players' salaries at the minor league level, um, it's they're not really livable wages. No. Um, I mean, it's $2,000 a month yeah. if you're in single A. And it's sometimes even hard to wrap your brain around the fact that at one time or another, a Mookie Betts was making that. Yeah. You know, and then just just like that, you know, he's a number five player in baseball talking about 
three hundred plus million dollar contracts. But no, it's I think we can all get behind the fact that players don't get paid yeah remotely enough. So that so that's part of it. And then you wrap you know, there's there's just different layers as you start to peel them back. I mean, obviously that's a small part of it. Player nutrition and um you know, just workout facilities and stadiums in general is the stadium, you know, is the latest technology technology available is the, you know, is the clubhouse better than your local high school's clubhouse is the field, you know, in great playing condition, mm-hmm. you know, what's the travel like? I mean, when you look at the South Atlantic league, you know, our league spans, you know, other than the, the Texas league, because of how big Texas is, you know, our, our league spans the most mileage and it's not, you know, it's not like we play Lakewood a whole heck of a lot, but I mean, that's a 13 hour bus ride. So, I mean, when you're playing 140 games, you know, that, that can wear on you, especially even if you are only 19, 20 years old, but when you're on a bus for 13 hours trying to play 140 games and, you know, a lot of these guys, while they're in top, you know, shape, you know, at our level, it is their first taste of full season baseball. A guy like Tristan Casas, yeah, between high school baseball and travel baseball, he may have played 50, 60 games the prior year, but, you Even know. D1 college players yeah, don't get prepared for a schedule like Yeah, this. and you're still playing, you know, at least with that, you're, you know, you're not playing seven days in a row, 14 days in a row type of thing. So it, it is a grind. So they're kind of looking at that at all, as a whole. Um, you know, now on the flip side of that, the the plan to go in one year from 160 teams to 120 is – is pretty extreme. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know where we'll land. There hasn't been a whole lot of talk other than what you kind of, I mean, we kind of get the same information that you see in baseball America or on any, you know, news site right now. Cause there is a, there's a team on major league baseball side that's negotiating and there's a team on minor league baseball side that's negotiating. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we'll come out in a great, in a, in a good spot. Um, I think contraction is probably inevitable but i don't think it'll be as extreme as that what they're saying especially in year one maybe i'm off the richter here but do we think that without them just blatantly saying it that this has a little bit to do with maybe the parent franchises looking at it from a profitability standpoint to say like okay we have xyz you know league under us are they profitable? What's it going to take to get them to where we need them to be as far as facilities and equipment and everything? Is it worth it? Where is it? And is it a good look for the franchise from the outside looking in? Or is it just better to wash our hands of it? And, you know, maybe they don't come out and directly say that, but do you think behind the scenes that this is more financially from just the parent franchise than they're letting on? Probably a little bit. I mean, at the end of the day, most minor league teams aren't owned by the major league club. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the minor league clubs that are owned by the parent club are your rookie level because they're uh, they're happening at the uh, spring training site. Yeah. Um, some of the short season clubs. Um, like Cactus League and stuff like that. Yeah, or uh, the Appy League or the Pioneer League, stuff like that. I mean, I think – it's getting thrown around a lot that it has to do with financials, but at the end of the day, that's a hard pill to swallow when Major League Baseball, you know, as an industry was, you know, had their highest profits in 2019. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I think in this day and age when analytics plays a really big part in it, that has to do with some of it as well, because I think there's some teams out there that believe, 
hey, you know, yes, triple A, double A, some of the single A teams, you know, are worth it. But we could get just as much out of our guys by having, you know, 50 less guys in the organization. We have, you know, four minor league teams instead of six. The rest of those guys that don't break spring training with an affiliated club stay at the spring training site and they use more with video and analytics and stuff like that, that they can get because they have that technology at a spring training site that they may not have at one of those affiliates. That makes sense. You had a question for that? No, not at the moment. Okay. It, it escaped my mind. Okay. I started thinking about spring training and reminiscing about my trip down to <laughs> Sarasota to watch the Orioles play, and I was out of this. Not the Orioles. I think every one of their clubs is minor league. Yeah, basically. <laughs> even the even the Ouch. <laughs> All right, so I'll leave. Well, I guess let's go ahead and get the elephant. I mean, let's just, just address the elephant. Well, in the room. that wasn't the elephant well, in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not, well, it was until a few days ago. <laughs> So, I mean, you kind of answered the question about the analytics and having, you know, less guys on the roster and, you know, kind of trimming down the number of layers in, mm -hmm. in minor league. And you kind of touched on the money-wise. You know, is it is it is it going to come down to, if they decide to cut down the number of teams, is it going to be just a, hey, um, you know, dog and pony show where you say, okay, we're going to send in major league reps, and if you don't meet these certain criteria – it's gone. I mean, they have that in place right now, okay. to be honest. I mean, we go through – they're supposed I – mean, and it's easier with new stadiums, but there is a um, new facility standard document that is – that if you're a brand-new ballpark, you have to meet during construction. But then there is an agency, a firm, that comes out and visits probably a third of the teams every year. So they come out to us every third year. Um, and they're making sure our the standards haven't gone down. They're checking our lighting, are the candle watt powers, you know, meeting the criteria for each area. I mean, it's, it's impressive to watch how they get that information. They come down and make sure the locker room, is it big enough? Do are the locker? There's a specific size for each individual locker. They do it on the visiting side. Obviously, the home side's bigger than the visiting side or the umpire's locker room, but they have a standard for what the visiting locker room size should be. And are we meeting that? Same with the umpires based on our level. So they're doing that. I just think they've kind of let it get. I don't, honestly, I don't know because we've never fell below any of those standards i don't know if a team falls below that are they finding that team are they saying hey you've got to meet these requirements yeah. i think that's probably part of it you come in you get the analysis but do you actually act on it i know right. there's some things we didn't fall below criteria on but we looked at it and said hey we should do it honestly it was when we renovated um the whole stadium back in 2017 with some really cool enhancements we said hey you know what our lockers are actually bigger than the standard we can decrease the size by a little bit and get three or four more lockers in here especially when we host college games when the rosters are larger but the the size of the locker is still bigger than the standard so again it's just a matter of how each individual team acts on it and if they don't act on it were they being fined and right. has it just now piled up to the point where it's like hey these facilities are not good for for player well-being yeah, it's, I'm, perhaps I'm just thinking, and 
I haven't been in locker rooms and everything else from these other teams mm-hmm. that I've visited, right? So, you know, I've been to uh, Carolina Mudcats yep. up in Zebulon or Zebulon or whatever, mm-hmm. however you pronounce that town name. You know, that stadium is so drastically different than this stadium uh, with regards to the seat quality mm-hmm. and the field. I mean, the field, I don't recall whether, but, you know, when I look at that, I think, hmm, would the Mudcats be kind of on the chopping block simply because they have an older stadium, right? You know, and it's not necessarily as fan-friendly, I think, as mm-hmm. as, the, as Floor Field is here. So that's, that's kind of why I was asking uh, that question. So now you want to go to the uh... – <laughs> I guess we might as well address it. So um, I don't know if you listened to our previous episodes where we were discussing the – my thoughts on Mookie Betts ending mm. up in L.A. And this was, I guess, before. I mean, it's the idea has been thrown around L.A., San Diego for a while now, but it, it hasn't really just come to the forefront of the media like, hey, there's actual discussion going on right now. And then, obviously, you know, I was sitting at home the other night watching, and I get a text from Brian. He's like, well, Mookie to L.A. And I was like, yeah, I'm watching it. And obviously, it's taken a little while to unfold. So I've spent the last week now basically arguing with people as to this is not Boston turning their back on mm-hmm. Mookie. This is something that, truth be told, is yeah, you can call it financial. It most certainly has to do with finances. But this is this was a decision that had to be made and that they were well prepared to make years prior because they knew it was coming. So I guess for our listeners, because I know that I have specific ones who sorely disagree with me on the fact that Boston had to do it, needed to do it. There really wasn't much way around it to keep him in a smart way for the franchise. So as an insider to the Red Sox organization who watched Mookie go from, you know, an amateur ball player Mm -hmm. to a World Series champion – you know, you. I guess you're his, his dad of sorts. <laughs> um, That's a first. I'm yeah. Sure. Well, there you go. Hey, you helped raise him in this world. So, I mean, tell. I mean, from your perspective, I mean, obviously, I'm biased. Mookie leaving doesn't affect you personally, but obviously, you seeing him come up through the very beginnings. Yep. This is probably harder on this level that's watched him come up versus the average fan or, you know, even someone that's only been with him in his time, you know, while he was at Fenway. Yeah. I'd like to get your take on it. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we also live in a day and age where there is like, no one can meet on middle ground. It was either the worst decision ever to let him go, or it was a great decision to, to trade him. Um, when truth be told, I don't think it was either. I yeah. mean, it was just kind of inevitable. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's really tough. And and you know, Mookie was here in 2013, and I think he, he was 20. I don't think he was 21 yet when he was with us in 2013. Oh. He was a second baseman. I mean, everyone kind of knew he was this just overall, you know, not a freak athlete, but just was overall very. Very talented. I mean, he was a state champion in bowling in high school. And, um, you know, he was an all-state basketball player for point guard. And I think he was going to go to Vanderbilt, actually, to play baseball and basketball um, until the Red Sox drafted. I mean, I think he was actually – he was blocked by – I can't remember the name, but he was on the Astros this past year. He was blocked by somebody 
at um, Vanderbilt. Um, so there was kind of that, like, well, if he goes to Vanderbilt, is he really even going to play that much? Um, but, I mean, he kind of burst on the scene with us in 2013. He had spent, you know, the previous two years in Lowell and had some decent stats, but nothing, like, earth-shattering. And then all of a sudden he got to us and hit about 300 and, you know, hit 35 doubles or something ridiculous number. And all of a sudden it was like, holy cow. And then, you know, he may, keeps doing that in Salem and then makes his way to Portland. And, you know, obviously the plans there were, well, he's playing second base, but, you know, we got this guy Dustin Pedroia kind of playing second base right now. He's blocked. And, you know, the story I've heard is they kind of just said, hey, Mookie, you're a pretty good athlete. Why don't you during BP today take, you know, instead of playing second base, just patrol the outfield and the coaches and the coordinators looked at him and said i think we've got a future for him in the outfield and same thing ian hap's doing yeah because yeah, he he didn't grow up an outfielder yeah. either so it, the rest is kind of history and you know i think he's the first i mean we've had 88 players come through greenville that have made the major leagues but i would say mookie is the first truly big name that is either being traded or was going to hit the free agency market that's come through here. I mean, you could say Lester, but Lester didn't really come through Greenville. He no, came through he... Greenville on a rehab assignment. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, you kind of look back, and, I mean, it doesn't affect us one bit that he's no longer in the Red Sox organization. I mean, again, people didn't really know who he was in 2013 when he was here. Um, and that's how a lot of our guys are, unless they are a big-time, big-time prospect. A lot of the guys fly under the radar when they're in Greenville, and then they make the majors, and you're like, oh, I remember when he was in Greenville. Yeah. Um, and everybody's like, oh, I wish I would have paid more attention. Yeah. And that's why I tell everybody that, you know, has ever asked me, uh, you know, because, like, I've got autographs from, you know, and the only player that I knew on a somewhat personal level prior to that was Jackie Bradley Jr. from his time at South mm -hmm. Carolina. But you talk about him, Rizzo, Mookie, Xander Bogarts, all these guys that came through. And it's like I tell my kids when we, you know, make the trip up to come see a game or anything where it's like when you can get something from the player, they'll talk to you, get your autograph. I said, take it because chances are you may see this person yep. again soon and you'll wish you had it. And, yeah. you know, you can have those memories of, you know, I guess kid to adult it almost seems like. Yeah. And I remember Mookie's, you know, year here and – he was one of those players like that ends up like an Anthony Rizzo. It's he was here long enough to you know change clothes, and he was you know gone. Yeah, well, he was here a little. I mean, Rizzo was here through the All Star break in his year in two thousand and nine. Um, he got promoted after the All Star game, and well, what I'm saying is yeah. like the generality oh, of yeah. the average fan that comes out, you know, a few times a yeah. year. It's like for them, it's like he was here for five minutes yep. and he left. Yeah, and Mookie was here through. I think July 18th, I was looking through stuff a couple of weeks ago, actually, and July 18th was the day he was promoted to Salem. So, I mean, he was here for two-thirds of the season, three-quarters of the season. Um, but, I mean, he kind of – again, it's one of those things I think, you know, you hate to see the Red Sox trade him, but at the same time it sounded like he was pretty committed to hitting the free agency market. So, you know – which you can't, I, I think, mean, and you I can't think they were, I, you know, and let's be honest, I think, you know, based off of, you know, what happened with the Red Sox last year coming off the World Series hangover, if you will, mm -hmm. all the injuries to the pitching staff, I don't, I mean, it's tough to look in, at 
you know, the season they had in 2019 and say, you know, all those guys are going to stay healthy or are healthy and are going to remain healthy in 2020 and make another run at it, especially with what the Yankees have done. I mean, you hate to see what the Yankees have done. And, yeah, nobody I mean, wants to see that. They had a good season last year with Stanton pretty much hurt the entire year. And, now, and Judge out for a good point. Yeah, so well. now Judge is 100% healthy, Stanton should be, and then you add Garrett Cole to that, and it's like, oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, no doubt. Um, so, I mean, I kind of see, you know, he's grown up through the organization. You want him to stay, but – when it's when you're so different, I guess, on where the money is and that he's kind of said that, you know, I want to hit free agency, you kind of, okay, let's see what we can get in value. So we at least walk away with some type of value. Yeah, and that's what I was telling Brian is like this, again, you know, I'm a Cubs fan. So unless Mookie wanted to make a hard right turn and come to the north side of Chicago, then does this really affect me? No, but it's like, it's almost like Boston is Mookie Betts. You yeah. can't, you don't think about Boston anymore without thinking about him. You don't think about him without thinking about the Red Sox. So, even though I think, truth be told, if you're going to pick any organization in baseball that Mookie is a just a perfect fit for, to be set up to not only win long term but be a major contributor to that winning, LA's it. Let's face it. Yeah. I don't hate I like I love Dave Roberts, so I, I like where he's going there, but I don't want to see Mookie leave. But I get it. it. Why are you gonna wait around to still not get him? Maybe he has an off year, maybe Boston's still down. Mm-hmm. So now you really got nothing, no value out of what your player was. Yeah. You're gonna you were having to dump price anyway. And at least you didn't go to the Yankees like other <laughs> oh my God. God. I don't think Mookie would have done wait, that no, in Boston. I would do hope you? not. I would hope not. I mean, the the rational sports fan in me, you know, says, you know, you can't fault the guy for seeing what the market is like in terms of similar players and saying, you know, I deserve $380 million, I deserve $400 million. You know, that's a hard – I mean, for the average person, that's a ton, like, holy cow, like what's the extra $20 million do or what's the extra $40 million do when you're that – you know, when you're getting that much thrown at you anyway. It's easy for people that don't make several hundred million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? And for the average person, they also don't have an agent breathing down their neck going, this is how much money you are making a franchise. Don't leave it out on the table. Yeah. And because of people like Scott Boris, who are driving player yeah. contracts to the moon. And again, I'm not saying that some of his guys aren't worth it. I would have never thought that a team would have paid a pitcher. That one blew my mind. I was blown away. When when I got to San Diego, I got a text that was talking about um, Strasburg. That one, I was like, okay. I felt like it was a little high, but as soon as we found out Monday morning, this is the official, this is the details of everything, I said, my God. I said, they're going to pay Garrett Cole upwards of half a billion dollars now. There's no way he's not going to break Strasburg. Yeah. And when it came out, I'm like, that's guaranteed. The, yeah, and yeah. It, that's all the major most, league contracts are guaranteed. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty all, of baseball. That's the most fragile part of your lineup, essentially. One pitch, it's over, and you spent that much money. And, again, you're buying wins, not players. So maybe he's good for 20, 20 wins a year, 25, yeah. whatever. It was several years after Albert Bell left the Orioles. I think they were still paying him. It, it just, well, the Mets it, are still paying Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> it's, it's insane. But, again, Mookie Betts is looking at it like, if I'm a top-five player in baseball and Anthony Rendon just got this yeah. to go to the Angels, which, again, I'm not saying he's not worth it, 
Well, then if you put a valuation on someone like that and you say he's really worth it and you can justify it, then there's no way you cannot justify paying Mookie Betts substantial money above that. Yeah. And again, I don't fault the player going after the money. I, I liken it to, honestly, I liken it to the situation where, you know, I remember in 2000, I mean, I grew, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I'm a diehard Phillies fan at heart. We'll edit and, that out. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I just remember in 08 when the Phillies won the World Series and then Jason Wirth left and because the Nationals threw a boatload of money at him and there was a lot of upset people in Philadelphia. Like, oh, he's going, you know, he's chasing the money. I mean, at that point, who, yeah, Chase, you won a World Series. That was, when you got you, into the league, there's and, nothing and again, you I to don't, do. I don't fault Mookie. I mean, he's won a World Series. He's won an AL MVP. I mean, he's done everything, all the accomplishments that you really want to do. So, yeah, get that money. Well, like, whoever's going to give you the most, go your, for it. Your average fan, the middle-class America, may have an issue with that because they see a lot of money, and then they think, gosh, it's just another couple million dollars. <laughs> but... If they were to be in those players' place, and if they were to have that talent, and know, you know what? I really need to set me and my family up for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. and heck, their kids' kids, right? Yeah. Because you can develop that kind of wealth and then do other investments after that that you can set up several generations of your family. I don't think that any you know average Jill on the street, if he were actually put in that spot, he would say, no, my affiliation is with this team. No. I really want Not to everybody's do Mike Trout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Who's willing to lose his entire career. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at Kyle Ripken. I mean, he but played. He's, but, but Trout still got paid. Oh, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He got paid. But if we really want to talk about Mike Trout, if he would have pressed the issue yeah. of, well, let me just see what the Dodgers or the Yankees. Somebody uh, I mean, I think the I, honestly, I think the Phillies were going to make a hard run at him too. Oh yeah, because he's a Philly kid. I mean, Harper had kind of already talked to him about, mm -hmm. hey, if you hit free agency, come back home. I mean, he is a true Philly kid. I, yeah, I mean, he grew up in New Jersey, but Milltown. It's, yeah, it's I'm, a suburb yeah, of Philadelphia. I mean, he he is literally once. I mean, and they're they're done in early. You know. They're in, done in mid-September, so as soon as he comes home, he's at every Eagles game. Mm -hmm. Yep, every and not only that, he loves. I don't know why I know this, but he he wants to be a weatherman. When he when Interesting. he no, I'm serious. <laughs> when he's done with baseball, he's like, I, I want to try it. He's obsessed with like being like meteorologist and weather, so he loves going back home and being able to like predict how much snow he should he should be famous and, weatherman up there in Philadelphia. I, not that I remember. I mean, he should become a minor league baseball GM then because we have to pretend and be meteorologists almost <laughs> every night of the week and give weather reports. I, I mean, but you think – I mean, now, granted, now, I think it was you and I that were talking last year. Maybe we talked to you about this. I was – as far as any huge deal that's been done in the past few years, so you talk about Harper – Trout's contract, Machado going to San Diego, obviously take what's been done here out of it. I don't feel very impressed that the Yankees or the Dodgers land a big. Yeah. But the fact that the Phillies, they even openly admitted, they said, we wanted Machado first. That's who we were pursuing when it came down to Machado and Harper. Mm -hmm. And then when Machado had kind of all but said, listen, I want to go to the West Coast, he – the owner during the interview or the the thing that I was watching him and the general manager said we would do anything at that point that it took to get Bryce Harper to come to the Phillies and that's what Bryce was like there were so many more 
outside looking in appeals to other organizations, whether it be their location, Mm -hmm. how, you know, were they winning now? How long are they set up for winning? And he said that the Phillies took him in and he's like, this is where we want to be, raise a family. And when I'm done, he's like, I don't see us leaving Philadelphia. And he's a Vegas kid. I mean, Mm -hmm. how many kids from the desert do you know? Like, all right, I'm going to move to Philly and never leave. Yeah. No, I mean, the the Philly fans have really embarrassed embraced him and his wife and now their newborn son I mean it's been amazing because I mean I'll be honest when Bryce was with the Nationals I honestly couldn't stand him he'll test as as a Phillies fan and you know he came to Philly and I was even at the time like when when they're like oh we're either you know the Phillies were saying we're either going at we're gonna get one or the other and I was like oh how about neither like yeah (laughs) really but then had our talks about I mean they they signed Harper and then like the interview I mean he I think he's definitely matured because I mean I also remember him coming through him and Machado came through the South Atlantic League at the same time in 2011 and they were I mean they were both really immature they were kind of pains to deal with and looking back now, I mean, you kind of expect that from a kid who was 19 years old here, all that money on the cover of ESPN, the magazine on the, I mean, dubbed as the next best thing. Yeah. I mean, Scott coming out Morris of Vegas too. Picked so. him up at 15 and basically made a relationship with him and his parents and was like, you are a five tool player that hits with more power than any kid I've ever laid sure. eyes on. You're going to be it. Well, I mean, you start getting that at 15 years yeah. old. I mean, obviously at 19, you're still immature, but your shit don't stink. You know, at 15, what are you going to do when you actually I'm 45 get there? I think it has matured this year. So <laughs> I can understand. But I, I don't know. I guess rounding out that, I guess you and I are in agreement. All of us are in agreement here that the Red Sox had to do what they did. Yeah. It's not bad for them going forward. Obviously, Mookie had to do it. He would be kind of stupid not to for his own personal, you know, not only that, you're a top five player and you know you want to play long-term. Well, well obviously been saying that Mookie can't come back to the Red Sox. He has no, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if they're able I to re-sign yeah, him after I mean, this year. They got rid of prices. We were talking before this. They got rid of prices contract. That's Where really what, what all this truly maybe, stems you know, from. Maybe they can restructure something for Mookie to come back. And I know, truthfully think if price wasn't in the mix – this whole Mookie thing would have gone a lot differently because they knew they weren't just going to dump price somewhere and have somebody buy him out. Yeah. So it was going to have to be a, like a two for one type. Hey, I want, I'll give you this. You got to pay me, but you're also going to have to take on some of price. Yeah. True. Maybe you don't disagree with me. I don't think price was very well loved in Boston. I don't think he ever got really accepted. By he had his base. moments, but his, I think, it wasn't well received the comments that he made, obviously, towards Dennis Eckersley, who's yeah. you know on Nesson and does broadcast. So, I and he's Red Sox royalty. Yeah. So I think that had something to do with it. And, yeah. yeah. I just feel like he was kind of more of the like, hey, we appreciate what you did for us in the postseason, but like, eh, nobody's gonna cry over you when you leave. I feel like he's gonna get to L.A. Everybody's gonna be looking down on me. He's gonna show out. Maybe that's just me. I mean, they definitely. If he can stay healthy, I mean, that's a heck of a rotation now with him added to that because he's probably the number three starter mm-hmm. in yeah. that rotation yep. now. So, and I guess it'll, I guess it'll depend on 
where Dustin ends up after spring training and you know his workouts and yeah. stuff. Because well, there was, I was as we were sitting here talking, I was looking for the tweet and and I haven't been able to find it, but they went through the Dodgers roster and basically every position player is top three in the National League and their rotation is the best in the National League. Yeah, I and tweeted out. It's basically. Dodgers are the foregone conclusion for the World Series champions. I mean, the interesting thing though is Vegas still has Vegas has the Yankees as yeah. the favorite. Well, what what it was episode three maybe we were doing, and I think we got on the topic of who like I guess, who we thought was going to like was before the deal. And you said if if Mookie goes to I, yeah, the I said Dodgers, I said the Dodgers are my pick to win the World Series this year. You know, Mookie no Mookie, that's my pick. I said, but if Mookie goes. It's going to have to take something happening to yeah. the Dodgers for them not to win yeah. it. Obviously, I get Garrett Cole. That's fine. But you already had the best bullpen in baseball last year, which I feel like carried you farther than your starting pitching would have anyway. I just don't see Garrett Cole coming in. And, I mean, yeah, you leapfrogged what you were last year. But you just you are now facing maybe one of the most potent starting nine we've ever seen mm -hmm. you know outside of maybe the 18 red Sox, or i'm not gonna say what happened in 17 but we all know <laughs> <laughs> which is a great segue because one of our points was you know the the red Sox, and you know they've been mixed up in this scandal um with with alex cora being let go and then you know their the thought process of the question naturally arose, did they cheat too? So, you know, with them moving some of these players, with the World Series hangover that they had in 2019, you know, what, what has been the discussions in the organization, if, if you can disclose or if there had been any, with regards to how the Red Sox are going to the, – the investigation is not done. That report still needs to come out. So, obviously, a lot of it is probably under the cuff. But just generally speaking, the organization's kind of thought process on – yeah, so, so so before I talk about that, so we've talked about the 160, to the, the minor league plan, Mookie being traded, and now we're talking the Red Sox scandal, if you will. Is this like the elephant in the room episode? Is that what's <laughs> well, this is? We labeled the elephant Mookie just yeah. because that's what everybody cares about. But, again, what whatever you can or can't. Yeah, I mean, obviously I mean, everybody hears what's – going on and honestly like i think, I, but you, I think that you have a very unique perspective on all of these things simply being down farm from but i mean i have a perspective on the whole thing but i mean as far as information goes i mean it doesn't trickle down to this level of what the you know what's going on with it i mean i get the same information you guys do in terms of yeah. the latest on you know core and that's a, I, I mean to be I'm honest I, wrong. I wasn't necessarily yeah, yeah, inside yeah. information it was more of your perspective as a general manager of a minor league team associated with a parent team kind of what's your perspective on yeah, it yeah I, I mean my two perspectives i mean i had the chance i mean again my interact i very i've had very limited interactions with alex core over the last two years but i can tell you like i've never been more impressed in just you know when we go to the we go to the winter meetings there is a, a an affiliate reception where the red Sox host all of the minor league affiliates any of the employees that happen to be there um the last two years even most recently in december um you know alex has been there um two years ago um, was the first, you know, first time I got a chance to meet Alex. 
And the way I met him, honestly, was, you know, you see those guys at the reception and you're kind of like, oh, do I go up and talk to him? Do I sit back and talk to the people from the other affiliates I know? Because, you know, yes, Alex is here, but he's kind of, you know, he's he does he really want to be here? And, you know, he's got a job to do type right. of thing. So that that somewhat intimidates me sometimes. Like, I don't really want to just go up and interrupt someone and talk shop if they don't really want to. And the way I got introduced to Alex was I happened to walk by uh, Eddie Romero, who's now one of the assistant GMs for the Red Sox. And he knew I was a Clemson guy. And he, we started talking Clemson football. And Alex overheard it. And he was like, oh, you went to Clemson? Like, I'm, you know, I went to Miami. So we started talking ACC football. And this past December, again, I'm at, we're at the reception. And uh, I didn't approach Alex. I think I was in line to get a beer or something. And he actually came up to me and he's like, Eric, another great year for Clemson football. And that just struck a chord with me that he remembered, one, remembered my name. And two, like, Knew like what it was, to associate yeah, it was, you. it was real. Like it was an authentic conversation. Yeah. yeah not like, um, Hey Eric, how you doing? He, yeah. he remembered Clemson. He remembered obviously the conversation. Yeah. Had, so. so, I mean, again, like that, that's the type of stuff that stands out. And honestly, I said to folks, you know, in our front office, the drive front office, when, you know, everything kind of came out with the Astros and then all of a sudden, you know, the Astros were really, I think, you know, pinning it on Cora. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, and I kind of looked at it two ways. I said, I mean, one, it's easy for them to blame Alex. He He's no longer with the organization. Yeah. So if you're going to throw somebody under the bus, yeah. throw the guy under the bus that's no longer there. The other thing that stood out is, you know, I'm not telling any stories out of school, is, you know, when, they, when the investigation first happened with the Astros, there was a huge difference in the stats during the playoff run by the Astros in 17, their home stats versus their road stats. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was huge. But if you looked at the Red Sox run in 18, it was consistent. They had home fielded. There wasn't a single series. They won every single series on the road. And every you single mentioned one that when we were talking about it, that the impact not a small. single yeah. series came back to Fenway park. Yeah. The Astros, other than the World Series, if you look at that first round against, I think, the Yankees. Did they play the Yankees? In the, the round they played the Yankees, they crushed the Yankees at home, mm-hmm. went to went to Yankees, got their brains beat in, mm-hmm. and then had to come home. I mean, both, other than the World Series, because the Dodgers had home field advantage, they had to come back home to win the series each time. Yeah. And the Red Sox didn't. And that's I said that if there's something going on, I mean, there's a huge discrepancy in the stats there. Yeah. yeah. And I mean again, like like you said, there may be things that no one ever knows. Well. You know, it just it is the way that it is. I think that I kind of mentioned that and again, I, I don't know. I I mean obviously you would certainly know before I ever would, but I feel like there's not enough attention on on Carlos Beltran throughout this whole process. I feel like that did Alex Cora have something to do with it? Maybe. You know, people are pinning him as the ringleader. Who knows? We don't know. I I find it very very difficult to believe that number 1 the position that he was in and number 2 just being the baseball guy that he is, him 
and because this is what I've heard, and maybe you correct me wrong, he's the most respectable, per, like respectful person mm-hmm. that you would ever come across. Yeah, that was going to be one of my comments is that not only your interactions yeah. with him at the winter meetings, but we had talked about it before. Like he is just. Uh, by all indications, just a great guy. Yeah. Everybody likes him. And they say that, like, chain of command with him, if you're above him, he gives you nothing but the utmost respect. It doesn't matter whether he agrees, disagrees, whatever, he respects you. Yeah. So for A.J. Hinch to come out and say, listen, I broke the monitor twice, but I never directly gave an order to stop, I just feel like, Hearing what we hear about Cora, if he sees a broken monitor by a bat by his superior, by his manager, I feel like him of anybody in this situation would have stopped. Yeah. And again, maybe we're wrong, but I I agree with you in the fact that he's gotten a lot of this pinned on him that maybe isn't as justified as it. I think that, you know. I think that this is probably one of those instances where things just went out of control and little by little yep. it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And, and my thing is with saying looking about... Looking back on the outside, you're like, oh my God, they had this huge conspiracy. <laughs> and it was really like, well, well, maybe we'll just do this. Oh, we, you know, it's working out. Let's just do this. And, and, so and again, so. like I, I wasn't saying like Carlos Beltran as in like, no, he did it, he did mm-hmm. it. My thing is I think it's a lot more believable because if the if the players were all doing this and it was all one big organization, you know, a team together, well, who was a player in 17? He was. Yeah. Who was, yeah, coaching staff, whatever, but he was the closest member of that staff that wasn't a player. He wasn't the manager. He wasn't the general manager. He was a field-level type, like arm-in-arm type mm-hmm. coach. That just seems a lot more believable to me than somebody like an Alex Cora who is dealing with the media every day, has a microscope on him 24 hours a day by one of the most powerful organizations in sports at that. Yeah. Well, and I've heard, I mean, I've heard stories like Alex is not only one of the most respected guys in professional baseball, but he's got one of the sharpest minds. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard stories like he can, he can literally recount every major league bat he had as a player saying, this is the pitch, you know, what happened in the at bat and what the order of pitches were. I mean, to have a mind like that is un- unreal. They said that this past year, he w- they were playing Toronto, I think it was. And for whatever reason, he was in the dugout discussing stuff with anybody. So three or four innings had gone by. And he had not been, you know, logging stuff into his iPad. Had somebody bring him his iPad and recalled every single batter that had come up, what his pitcher threw, and whether it was a ball or strike, and logged it while they were up at bat in the fifth inning. And I'm like... There's no way. And they're like, no. They're, yeah. He does it every game. Yeah. How are you on time? I'm good. Okay. Um, so I guess, yeah, let's uh, – no more <laughs> – I know that's, that's – uh, to be honest with you, what was weird is I, I don't even think we wanted to talk about it when it was just me and him because obviously I've said this, Brian hates when I say call myself a purist <laughs> of the game. But I've heard you say it before too. Yeah. So, well, we had that discussion. You know, I um, – uh, that just, I don't know, it makes me cringe when everything started to come out. You hear the bats on the trash cans. It's just, you know, yeah. what's it become? And 
I don't know. But enough about controversy. <laughs> so, with the upcoming season, how how are you looking at the season, the the current? I get, do you all know who the players are going to be that are coming in, or it all depends on? Not really. I mean, we kind of have an idea of who could be here, but I literally, I mean, our first game is April 9th. Um, we open up on the road, and that Monday is April sixth. Yeah. I won't have an official roster till Monday, April 6th. Um, again, we'll kind of have an idea as spring training starts. It'll come to light a little bit more, but we've had change where, you know, we'll get, hey, Eric, here's the ro- here's the list of guys that's coming to Greenville on that Sunday. And the next day it's like, hey, we've had a change because somebody up. pulled his hamstring yesterday. So yeah. here's some different moves or something. Um I mean, you look at the success that Lowell had last year. We should have, you know, most of those guys coming here. Um, you know, end of the day, though, does that translate? Because, uh, you know, when you look historically, the drive team, because of how the Red Sox draft, how the Red Sox sign international players, you know, even though the guys that maybe have had success at Lowell, they were still, because it was right after the draft, they were still – all guys kind of around the draft or the previous draft that didn't break with a club. Whereas you get to our level, a lot of the teams in our league, there's a lot of carryover and except with us. So our, the drive historically is the youngest team in the league. Um, so it, it sometimes, I mean, you look at a guy like Tristan Casas last year, like he ended up having a really great year, but I mean, if you just looked at April and beginning of May in isolation, he got off to a very slow start. And I mean, that tends to happen with our guys because they are. It is their first full season playing in April and May and not used to a 140-game season, and they're not used to slumps, and it yeah. takes them a little bit of time to get going. Yeah, I came I came to some of those early games and knew that he was, uh, you know, one of the standout players. And at the time I thought, wow, I you know, I would have expected more. Yeah. But later in the season, yeah. uh, then I was seeing, uh, you know, his talent full full display. What um, so I guess going into you know what we talk about with spring training and everything there, how last year obviously it was it was more of a down year, so there was a lot of things that moved up going into that eighteen season where a lot of pieces were pushed up. Obviously the the success of the Red Sox, you were you guys kind of depleted everything after that championship also. Yeah, yeah and we, once you guys kind of pushed all that off and kind of started to rebuild from there, going like after last year, then reevaluating how. Was the player development was it on uh, was it on an uptick organization wide as far as from Lowell going up? Last yeah, year? I mean it still was. I mean there's still. I mean when you look at it too, I mean yes, winning's important, but at the minor league level, they're really trying to develop the guys for yeah. you know to get to the majors and win there. That's and, actually one thing that I wanted just to bring up. So last episode you did with us, you had touched on the fact that yeah, obviously winning's important, but. When it comes down to it at the minor league level, there is nothing that trumps player development because that's what it's there for. Yeah. I had a, you know, the some of our really dedicated listeners reach out and was like, you know, yeah, I understood that obviously that's there, but it's almost like a forgotten thing. It's the still winning a, is a forgotten thing. No, 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 no oh. the, the player development yeah. because it's still a baseball game against yeah. another team, you know, under a major league franchise. So they were like, you know, that really brought to life. Now a lot of these maybe not so understandable decisions that things like at the minor league when yeah. it happens, like why would you do this? Yep. And it's it's because of development. It's what you have to do to make yeah. sure that this player is ready 
to move up when ready and if they ever get yeah. ready. Yeah, and I know so. you guys have talked about having Iggy on this year and stuff, and he can definitely talk about that because, yeah. I mean, yeah, you look at it and it's all about the player development at our level. So, the, I mean, I, I'm sure he'll tell you because he's said it in other interviews before that, you know, if yeah, if winning was the ultimate goal at this level, you there's some situations where it would be like, yeah, we're going to bring in a relief pitcher here or we're going to pinch hit here or we're going to sacrifice bunt here. But, you know, what they're really working on is – getting that player to be better in that situation. So, right. yeah, a pitcher may have gotten lit up and it's time for him to come out, but they're also still looking, okay, he's gotten lit up. How does he bounce back from that? Can yeah. he bounce back from we that? we got to let him yeah. get rocked a few times to see what it's like. Yeah. And we talked to Iggy when we, when we were at the hot stove event, and he was telling us that same thing. He's like, now in certain situations – He's like, if we're just set up to do it, he's like, I'm not just going to go lose. Yeah. He's like, player development or no player development. We all want Especially to if, win. If, if, there's ch- if you guys are chasing. Yeah, and yeah. that's what he said. He's like, now he's like, we get late into the season. Yep. We're in contention for yep. something we're chasing. He goes, I really don't care what's going on in Salem or somewhere like yep. that. He said, I want to win just as bad as these guys. Yeah, and that's win. honestly, that's the first time I saw it was in 17. We won the first half. You know, we – we make the playoffs and, you know, seeing what guys were going to be on the active playoff roster. When Darren Fencer chose to pinch hit, when he chose to do certain things, like that, that was, that was, yeah, okay, regular season's over. Now it's time to go win a championship. It's not necessarily as much on the development because they were doing things that we didn't necessarily do all season. Because then now it was time to win versus developing the guys. Yeah, and that's and that's great for those guys too to you know to get a taste of like, okay, that's a big deal for them. Yeah, and we'll Just readdress a, it with with Iggy when we do interview. But he, he was saying that yeah, there's player development, but part of that development yeah. is a competitive spirit. Yep. Yeah, and, yeah, and you have to instill that in them also. Yeah. So I guess now that we're on you know this topic, the last thing I wanted to touch on on it was because we brought up the purity of it. I haven't asked you personally yet what uh, he Brian knows my take on it. What do you think about the the minor leagues testing out the robotic <laughs> umpire type thing? I mean, I don't think I need to repeat what yeah. I think about it, but but being that you're in it, yeah, I guess we all understand what it's for, the purpose of trying it out. What's your take the general manager side of it? I want to hear you as as a as a purist of the game. I want to hear your opinion. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't like it at all. Um, well, from both aspects, like uh, a former player and fan of the game, and then there's a general manager. I mean, baseball's yeah. been going on for over a century. I mean, human error is always part of the game. Yeah. I mean, yes, there's some – I mean, I think during the hot stove, I think Bob Kipper, our pitching coach, said it best. He said, yeah, players get – Pitchers get pissed off when they, you know, when they don't get a strike call that they felt was a strike and vice versa with a batter. But, you know, at the same time, I bet there's some times where an umpire gave you a strike as a pitcher that should have been a ball. I mean, you can this day and age with technology on TV and the K pitch and all that. I mean, you can analyze that all day long and see so many different angles it's impossible to get it right every time. I mean, the the amazing part is my dad umpires back home, like American Legion in high school, and Al Porter, who's a major league umpire, is from my hometown, and he goes home and does an umpire clinic with all of them every winter. And he has said, you know, yeah, we get criticized a lot, but when you look at it, they're getting information immediately after the game of how many pitches they called accurately. Mm-hmm. 
And to be asked back the next season over the course of a year, they have to get 95% of their calls right. Yeah, so there is so no the, favoritism. Yeah, you know? I mean, that per, that percentage of what they're getting wrong is so small, but it's yeah. amplified so much by social media, by the 24-hour news cycle, because ESPN, Fox Sports, all of them need something to talk about 24-7 nowadays. And especially well, if it makes someone look bad. Yeah. Well, look at the entertainment value of that also, right? I mean, there, there's even though I've been on the receiving end as a fan of saying they didn't give my player the call and I can, you know, bitch about it all I want to, I've been on the receiving end of them giving the call. You yeah. Know? And that's at any sport, right? I mean, yeah. you could put – you could put some type of tracking device in a football to, to understand exactly where the yardage marker is They're and get it down doing to that. a science. But, you know, there's a there's The NFL has been the one that's always blown my mind, though, that the fact that they can put a yellow stripe down the field <laughs> on TV, they can put cameras inside the pylons now, but to measure the – if they got a first down, they still use chains. <laughs> they still use chains. That's the one that still blows my <laughs> well, mind. Well, you know they're putting sport. the sensors in the football this yeah. year to do testing, so it can be like we can see how far this went, where it stopped, yeah. yada, yeah. yada, yada. It's like I mean, this is the one sport you shouldn't have to do. Yeah. That. It's like it's right I there. know a lot of players that are actually in favor of the robot umpires, and it's not necessarily – I mean, it's basically taking – you know, and I could see it being done more at the minor league level Honestly, like single, because at the end of the day, our umpires, they're just as young as some of our players. Yeah. I mean, they're 22, 23 we years old. We that a lot last yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, they are young guys too. A lot I more could women see are getting involved. I could see it starting just like they did the, the extra inning rule, started at the lower levels of starting the guy on second base. It's, it's kind of like they're looking at the rules or things they want to try, and they're seeing where does it make sense. Like the pitch clock, they're doing in AAA. They don't want to do it at our level because the guys are already young enough trying to learn the lifestyle so much. Why throw in a 25-second clock on these guys as right. well? You threw in – they put in the, the, the extra inning rule with the runner starting in second, starting in single A. Because they want, you know, it's all about development. You don't want to burn arms, so let's start it at that level and get those games over quicker. I could see the robot rule or the robot umpire making a lot of sense in single A to start if that's where they were going to test it out for that reason because the umpires at our level, a lot of them, it's their first or second year in minor league baseball as an umpire. And really the, the, the robot umpires are, it's, you know, we've got a K-man system up in or a track man system that the Red Sox put in that analyzes, you know, where the pitch actually was, what the speed was when it left the pitcher's hand, what the rotation was on the, you know, the spin rate, all that stuff. It's essentially that radioing the umpire to say that was a ball or a strike. And the umpire is still there because what that system doesn't pick up is if a, you know, a, a pitcher spikes a curveball 58 feet but it bounces and goes in the zone that robot's still gonna all it knows is it crossed home plate in the strike zone so right. it's gonna say that was a strike yeah so the umpire still has the ability to overrule that in a case like that but i can see it really working at the single a level in that hey it's a it's a tool to help the umpires get better too because that system's gonna say that was a strike that was a ball and they may have been like Man, that was really close. I would have called it the other way. Okay, this system is helping me out. Yeah. So I can see it in that aspect. In terms of the major league level, those guys 
are critiqued so much they have to hit a certain percentage of calls right throughout the year just to be asked back that to me at the major league level it makes zero sense right I and mean, maybe they incorporate it in a challenge situation do they have do they uh, currently use it i don't think they i just wonder no, if they would even want to bring it in strikes, even but. i know that manfred is saying you know hey we're doing this we're doing that but you would think that even for the entertainment purpose do you want to take away the theatrics of a manager running out to argue with an umpire no. I mean, there are some people that that's the only thing that gets them off from watching a baseball game. It's like, hey, I, that was my yeah. favorite part of it. And, I, and again, For years Earl Weaver was basically what brought Orioles fans to the park when they were in their down slump. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just because he he would get thrown out of nearly every game. Yeah. He loved to argue. With I mean, him. the ultra side of me. I mean, the one side of me in any sport when it's like oh, we need to add more and more technology to it, or you know, you heard coming, and it and it. This isn't even a technology thing, but it was, you know, Clemson beats Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl, and did they look bad? Yeah, they looked bad at times, but they won the game. But you've got all these fans saying, no, Ohio State was the better team. Well, if they were the better team, they would have won the game. Yeah. If you're going to add all this technology, if you're going to say, well, it doesn't matter who won or lost the game because at the end of the day, that team was better – why even play the games? Yeah. Just do a simulation and say, yep, season's over and the Yankees are the champions because yeah. on paper they've got the best roster. Yeah, and that, and that's – I agree with you because you can take that, but, you know, there was a movie, Any Given Sunday, yep. that label for football, mm-hmm. but it really is baseball such a long season yeah. that right now everybody, whatever, the Dodgers are favored to win or the Yankees are favored to win – you got 162 games before the end of the season, and then you got to get through the playoffs. Yeah, and the and the playoff. I mean, you can look at teams and see teams that have been just masterful in the regular season, but they're not built for the playoffs. No, I mean, look at what you know. I say Cleveland; they made it to the World mm-hmm. Series, but we can all say that what they did in the World Series wasn't near what they were doing for 85 games of yeah. that regular season, just consistently that second half and. Even last year, you, you talk about what the Twins had done. But then look at the Nationals starting out the first 50 games with one of the worst records yeah. in baseball, the worst bullpen and pitching staff record-wise. And then they go out there and have one of the most unbelievable postseasons I've ever seen in my life. And they take down, in my opinion, like this is before a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff came out. It's like I was telling him, I was like, Astros are the best team in baseball. I mean, who, who's going to beat them? the only people that I think can contend with them would be the Dodgers, yeah. who are going to be there anyway. Nope. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Nationals shut that down real fast and then went out, and it was every game on the road, which made it even all the more wild yeah. to see and how young they were as far as Juan Soto, people like that. So do I think that they were the best team in baseball last year? Probably not. Not all, The best team doesn't always yeah. you know, win. It's all about when you get momentum. Yep. I mean, honestly. And how you do it. I, that's why I still think that Red Sox World Series championship from 18 is very impressive because it is really hard to have the best record in Major League Baseball win 109 games and then sustain that. I mean, I think a lot of people expected them to just – tank yeah because okay you know and it is it's a grueling season so to win 109 games and then sustain that in the playoffs that's not just having that type of season they were very close to breaking history as like the best regular season ever yeah well and i mean you look at that you know what i can't remember what year it was now but that mariners team that had you know won like 114 regular season games or whatever it was with griffey and a rod and ichiro and randy johnson and Mm -hmm. then they got knocked out in the divisional round yep 
That's a long <laughs> season. Yeah, I mean, I'll look at what the Braves do. I mean, they when they started postseason last year, they they was like, yeah, you shouldn't be here. But mm-hmm. they, you know, they have spurts of the season where it's like they're the best team in the National League yeah. right now. But so, what else you got? Well, I just a question, I guess, personally wise, right? <laughs> so, how, you've been the general manager now for, uh, man. This will wow. This will be my seventh season. Seventh season. Yeah. You've been here from the beginning. Yeah. You were in like some marketing roles. I Media. Think. I've kind of worn every hat possible throughout this organization, which, yeah. which probably led to the general manager yeah. role. You were you were an expert on every uh, area. So, just out of curiosity, like, what is the next career progression? <laughs> and, and this isn't saying that you know. Uh, I think that you know you are or should or anything else leave the the drive as a general manager, but. Um, you know, is this something that you're like, yeah, I could sit here and retire doing this, or do you have other aspirations to to move up the chain in baseball or do other things, other sports maybe? Or You know, if you had asked me that question nine, ten years ago, I mean, I would have said then because I started out in the media relations side of thing and really enjoyed that. And, you know, at the time I was a lot closer in age to our players, so, it, you know, that's a position that was very hands-on and – I was very adamant then of, hey, my I want to keep doing media relations and I want to, you know, go home to Philadelphia and work for the Eagles or the Phillies in their media relations department or something like that. And just the more I got involved with the business side of things, I realized, you know what, minor league baseball general manager has pretty cool sound to it. And I didn't know it was going to I was going to be able to do that here in Greenville. I mean, we had our general manager who had been here since 06. Um, you know, he finally left the organization and after the 2013 season but um I mean I kind of look at it as I'm still having a lot of fun here in Greenville um when you have an ownership group that supports our front office staff in the manner that Craig does um in terms of just not only you know obviously salaries and things like that are very important but it's also the experiences that you get um that Craig has helped along the way. I mean, I went to the Super Bowl when the Philly or Phillies, when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and won it that year. And Craig's the one that helped me get tickets to that. And I mean, to me, that's, you can't put a price tag on going to a Super yeah. Bowl, seeing a team that you grew up going to as a kid, win a Super Bowl. Um, and again, I, I think, you know, even before 2017, even though, you know, 14, 15, 16, I had done three years as GM, I think I looked back on it and said, you know what? I really love it here in Greenville. The only experience I don't have yet is going somewhere and helping build a brand new stadium from the ground up. But then in 17, we did all those upgrades and just the meetings and the input and the stress that went into that, just doing three new spots to the ballpark and some other upgrades. I was like, you know what? I got that experience. I'm good. Um, So again, multiply it by 10. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I think I don't throw the word blessed around a lot, but I think when you look at the situation we have here in terms of the relationship between the drive and the Red Sox, the drive in the city of Greenville, you know, again, just the, the support that Craig Brown gives as an owner. um, Both supporting our staff, but also reinvesting in the stadium because a lot of organizations, could say, hey, we're going to chase the money and chase our profits and we're not going to reinvest in the stadium and keep it clean, keep it, you know, seats, you know, not broken and stuff like that, like some stadiums do. And, 
you know, at the end of the day, that goes a lot further than a lot of other experiences or other organizations could. I, you know, I have friends, all my family and friends still live in Pennsylvania and they ask, Hey, when are you going to move back home and work for one of the teams up here? And I'm like, frankly, I don't really want to live in Pennsylvania again, to be honest with you. I hate winter. Uh, so that's part of it. But again, I, you know, it sounds very cliche, but you, you know, people say, if you enjoy what you're doing, you never work a day in your life. And yeah. I still enjoy coming into work every day, having the experience being around our players to some degree. I mean, hell, I come in on a Saturday and during the season at 8 a.m., one, because it's quiet in the office. I can get a lot done without the phone ringing or other staff members coming in and asking questions, even if we have a game that night. But I'll come in at 8, get my work done by 10, come down to the clubhouse, work out. Early group of guys come in to do early hitting. I shag fly balls for him in the outfield. Nice. Just because it's something different to do. Yeah. And I can do that on a Saturday because literally no one else is here till 4 o'clock. That's Gotta awesome. love that. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking uh, the owner, what obviously prior to you know getting into this and owning a minor league team, what, what's his background? Like what business-wise? Yeah, so Craig, um, you know, he was basically – he was the uh, – he did finances. He was the CFO for – uh, a big marketing agency in um, New York City. And he was basically in charge of the finances and acquisitions. So I don't – Craig is so down to earth. Like, you would have no idea. Just I mean, because he walks around the concourse and talks to our fans. Like, you would have no idea of, you know, the value or, you know, I guess how much money he's made in his right. lifetime or the things he's contributed to Michigan State. Yeah, without digging into it because know, he's, he's a big mission yeah guy. i mean yeah. he's just very down to earth um but has obviously been very very successful as a businessman um yeah so I, he spent 25 years or so in new york city with an ad firm um as the cfo in charge of uh acquisitions led the largest acquisition when they acquired um in u.s history of two marketing firms um between a firm in New York and a firm in Chicago. He spent a lot of time in London, back and forth from London and Brazil with acquisitions. And that's, that's his main background. And I don't think he ever expected when he started or owned a minor league baseball team and built the stadium that he was going to fall in love with Greenville like he has, but he has made this his home. So that's what I was actually my next question. Is he full-time local He is full-time in Greenville now. I mean, when he first, when, the drive first started out in 06. I mean, he was commuting back and forth from Connecticut. He oh, would wow. um, come down three weeks out of the month. He would fly down on a Monday night, be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fly back to Connecticut Thursday night. And he would do that three out of four weeks each month. One week he would be in Connecticut for the so entire he week. he connections with the Red Sox organization, and that's how he became an owner of – no, he um, – and, I mean, again, he just thought he was going to own a minor league team and kind of show up every now and again and have a beer at the ballpark and still live in Connecticut but own a team in um, South Carolina. But um, he got introduced uh, to minor league baseball through some mutual connections to the Burke family who owns – who at the time owned Chattanooga, owned the Portland Sea Dogs, still own this – the Burke family still owns the Sea Dogs, I believe. Um and they kind of introduced him to the minor league world. And that's when, you know, he said, oh, you know, I could, I would love to own a minor league team. And that's when they, they actually bought the team in Columbia. Yeah. Um, and then ended up moving it to, to Greenville. But just with the stadium being built and some things going on, he had to spend more time in Greenville and just 
fell in love with the city and it, decided that decided that he wanted to you know put his roots here. They moved from actually from Connecticut to Naples, Florida, and they were in Naples for a few years. And he was Half still that, commuting, yeah. and he just said, "You know what? We love Greenville. We're just going to move to Greenville." And a lot of his family followed him. Um, his son is our VP of finance or VP of finance. His son is his, our VP of marketing. Um, his daughter, um, is our director of merchandise. She actually had a background as a retail buyer with Bergdorf Goodman in New York city. Her and her husband moved down here and she helps on our merchandise side and has taken that to a whole nother level. Um, one of Craig's brothers and his family has moved to Greenville, um, he has another daughter that lives out in Colorado and is a lawyer. I don't know if her and her husband have plans of moving here anytime soon. But, yeah, pretty much the, the most part of the family has re- completely relocated to Greenville. Wow. Yeah, I just – I was thinking about that when you when you mentioned his name, and I just – that kind of sparked me to well, ask. You can get some more information at the hot stove event. I did mention talking to him because I think getting the perspective of a of a minor league owner is a is a great thing. Yeah, to, yeah absolutely. Understand that, so – but that's all. That's all I have. Do you have anything else? The only thing that I wanted you to be able to, you know, tell everybody is obviously everybody knows the season's coming up. Like you said, opening days right around the corner. But if we didn't mention it in the previous episode that we did with you, you guys do a lot of games that are outside of that. You have a lot of college mm-hmm. events here. Do you want to do a quick rundown of when that starts? Who's coming into town? So yeah. you know, obviously, if there's any alumni out there or people that are fans, it may. This may be something that interests them. Yeah, we've got a lot. I mean, our even though the drive season starts April 16th is our home opener, um, we start February 21st with college games here. Um, not every day, obviously, but uh, February 21st through the 23rd, Michigan State and Merrimack are here for, for four games in three days. Obviously, neither of those teams are local, but Michigan State has come down for the last 13 years now, obviously due to Craig's connections. Right. Um, they've really made that a part of their spring training to get out of Michigan, not just go to Florida and Arizona, but to come to Greenville. Um, so they're here that weekend. They actually return the following weekend. We do kind of a little round-robin tournament. Um, it'll, be that, it's, it'll be them. Western Carolina, Kansas, and Ball State. Um, so, you know, one semi-local team in Western Carolina and then um, three not-so-local teams. Uh, but we always enjoy having that. Um, March 3rd, we have Furman versus South Carolina. March 4th, it'll be Spartan versus Spartan. We have uh, USC Upstate versus Michigan State. So that'll be Michigan State's last game here in Greenville before – um, they go on, I think, to Florida from here, and then obviously the Big Ten schedule. Um, we've got some high school games during March as well. We've got a midweek game between Greenville High and Powdersville. We have back-to-back weekends with some high school doubleheaders. One weekend is Wren and Malden locally with Blythewood and Lexington. And then the following weekend is Riverside, AC Flora, Malden, and Blythewood again. So... Uh, always fun to get some of the high school kids out here um, to play some games. Real treat for them. Um, and Do then they use the locker room that we're sitting in. Now? No, they won't use. The, they don't. The only the only amateur team that uses the locker rooms is Michigan State, um, for obvious reasons. Um, and then they're also here um, for multiple days. So Michigan State always uses the, uses the locker room. This really turns into their home away from home. Um, but then we hit April, and we've got um, two days before our home opener on April 14th. We've got Clemson versus Furman. Um, 
And I think that rounds out our college schedule. We host the Southern Conference Tournament um, in May as well. Yeah, that's always fun. Yeah. So that's really all I had, obviously, just, you know, kind of highlighting what's coming up this year, what you know went on through the offseason as much as we could talk about it, things like that. I don't necessarily have anything anything else. If you want to promote anything else you guys are doing, um, anything like that, yeah. you can. Um, other than that, I think it was a good meeting. Yeah. I can't wait for opening day. Absolutely. And so I hope to uh, do this again, and we'll have some uh, other people on from this organization here once the season gets rolling. Yeah, and just in closing, I'd just like to say thank you, Eric, for sitting down with us again, uh, spending some time with us, as well as you know help, helping us uh, – get any of those other personnel. We, we love the fact that, you know, we have a friend in, in the Greenville Drive, and it's such a great organization. And I, I know I can't wait till opening day on April 16th. So. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime uh, we'll get some better folks on with once the season hits so you guys don't have to keep talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you are our first official two-time interview, so you're, you're going to be considered our – Is there like a plaque? <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get one made. Well, we, the third one, you yeah. get a hat trick, oh, right. so we'll, we'll get you a hat. We'll, so. we'll do it before the season's over. That way you can get it this year. <laughs> All right. So. Well, there you go, Outfielders Anonymous fans. Second interview with Eric Jarenko of single-A affiliate Boston Red Sox, the Greenville Drive. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. I'm Hawk. I'm Chase. And we're out. <laughs>